Well, good morning, Oakwood family. So glad that you're here this morning, and if you're with us online this morning, so glad that you've uh, carved out this time uh, to be in the presence of the Lord. And what a great time of worship this morning. And uh, we've been in a series for nine weeks now. Uh, this is week 10 of a series we've been doing on the Ten Commandments. Now let me uh, just give a commendation uh, to our church. In the uh, Christian conference world, when we uh, pastors assemble for conferences, one of the uh, rules of the road is you don't ever do a sermon series over six weeks. They, they, they will tell you that. And what they'll tell you is that the American church audience can't handle it. They, they, they just get bored, and so about every six weeks you've got to change it up. We did a series that was actually 50 weeks about uh, six years ago, but we broke it into six-week segments. So uh, it, was, it was called The Story, and we went from Genesis to Revelation at a bird's-eye view. And, but we broke it into these sections, and we kind of pulled over to the side a couple times. So it's a little risky that when you're starting a new year, um, you know, in the, in kind of in the middle of a pandemic, coming out of pandemic, wherever you know, your view is on that, um, that you'd be doing a 10-week sermon series. But I can just tell you, uh, it has been a blessing to me uh, for the uh, feedback that I've received, um, just that we see that we're digging in with God, that we're learning from His Word, we're allowing Him to speak into our lives, and sometimes I think when we can get in a series like this, it kind of settles more in us. And so, just want to commend you, uh, we, we blow away the statistics here at Oakwood, right? We got great people that love and desire the Word of God, and that can handle a 10-week series, Right? And I have proof, okay? The proof is in the pudding, right? Isn't that what they say? Is that uh, we had the dessert auction uh, last week, and it was great. And, uh, and during that uh, uh, time, we had the best attendance on campus we've had since pandemic hit, which was a year ago this week. In fact, a year ago this week, we hired this guy named Rusty Moles. You ever heard of him? What a blessing he's been, right? Yeah, his one-year his one year anniversary with us is this week, and so it's just amazing. I, I just remember, uh, we, we hired him to start a week later. He got released a week earlier from his, his previous position. He came over, and we found out on Monday, we can't meet on campus on Sunday. We're on lockdown. Can you get us online? <laughs> and he did in like five days. It's amazing. So God, God has been taking care of us, and through it all, uh, just his desire to grow his people, right? that we can be world changers, that we can be a great commission followers and make a difference in the world for Jesus Christ. As we've been in this uh, series, you think you get to the 10th commandment, and this is going to be like the best one, right? I mean, if you have nine other commandments and you get to the last one, you're like, this must be the one, this is going to be the one that summarizes and, uh, and you know, culminates all the other ones, and all the other ones are going to be able to relate, relate back, or this is going to be some kind of a summary going forward, and, and, you, and you can kind of build this up in your mind like we've been building, and, and we remember how these are segmented, right? We've learned that over the last uh, several weeks together, that the first four commands deal with our relationship with God, have no other gods before me, have no idols, keep the Sabbath day holy. And, we, and when we get to the, the, the rest of them, on, on your father and mother, and do not commit adultery, don't lie, don't steal, and, and we find out that, that uh, we have all of these commandments that deal with God at the beginning and then deal with our relationship with each other. And it's all dealing with relationships, our relationship to God and our relationship with one another. And then we get to this 10th commandment, the last one in the series. Well, let's just read it, right? I mean, come on, let's just get going here. Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, if you're, in, if you're in your Bible. And maybe your Bible's like mine, where like my pages are just, they've had it, okay? They've been, they've been open to for like two and a half months to the same spot. So my Bible just like always in Exodus. But Exodus chapter 20, 
And the Tenth Commandment is found in verse 17. And as always, you can follow along in the app if you choose to do so that way. It's got all the scriptures and all the bullet points uh, for you there. But Exodus chapter 20, verse 17 says this. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Or his male or female servant. Or his Mercedes or BMW. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Or his ox or donkey. His transportation, okay? Yeah, yeah. Or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Don't covet what others possess. Here's how we could summarize commandment number 10. Do not covet. Be content. Do not covet. Be content. Now, most of you, when we read that commandment, you're probably your initial reaction is like, wow, this is going to be one of those that just doesn't really apply to me. Just like the adultery week, I don't struggle with that. Even though Jesus said, you know, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Okay, yeah, but, uh, but you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't steal. I'm not a thief, and I'm not a habitual liar, and, you know, I keep God's, God's Sabbath day holy. And, and, and you know, you, you start thinking, oh, this one's not going to apply to me. This one I do not covet. You know, I don't care what my neighbor's house is, and I don't care what they drive. And, and, but I want to go a little bit deeper this morning. What does it truly mean to not covet? What would be the antithesis of that statement? Be content. What does God require of us in the 10th commandment? Contentment. Ah, contentment. God wants us to be content with what we have and no matter what our circumstances are. That we wouldn't be the people that are constantly seeking after more. And and let me be clear this morning as we begin here is that coveting doesn't mean that you can't like what someone else has. You can like what someone else has. Doesn't mean that you can't admire what someone else possesses. When they get a new car, a new shiny thing, it's okay to admire it and be like, wow, that's, that's really great. And notice the features and the new, the new body style for 2021. And when they get that large TV and, you know, it's, it's like larger than life. When you go to their house, you're like, wow, it's such a great home or whatever it is. You can like it and you can admire it without falling into the realm of committing a sin like the Tenth Commandment says, do not covet. You, you can actually admire those things without coveting them. To covet means that you have this inordinate desire to obtain it. The word covet actually shows up in the Garden of Eden at the very beginning of the biblical story. In the book of Genesis, it says that when Eve looked at the fruit, remember the serpent had come to her and said, Oh, you're missing out on something. God's holding out on you. You really need to try this fruit. And it says that when she looked upon the fruit, she coveted the fruit. This inordinate desire. This this unhealthy desire. What was Satan really whispering to her in the garden? What were Adam and Eve receiving from, uh, we talked about this, the father of lies? You see, Satan in the form of a serpent, whispers lies of discontentment. God's holding on you. You're not, God's not really giving you everything. If you had fruit from this tree, 
Then you could be content. Then you would have everything. You see, God's holding out on you. And I wonder if we consider this morning, maybe Satan is whispering the same lie to us today. If you just had a little more, if you just had a little different, then you would find contentment. But we find ourselves always looking at what others have, always looking at maybe their relationships, maybe their family dynamic, maybe their situation. And we start dwelling and we start desiring something that isn't ours, and we do it in an unhealthy way. And when we do this, it gets to the point of sin where you're actually committing this sin of coveting something that's not yours when you start to consider that via any means necessary, I might acquire this thing, this relationship, this person, the situation. And like I said earlier, this is the 10th commandment. You're thinking, this will culminate and affect all the others. And at first look, you're like, no, I really don't struggle with this. I'm hearing what you're saying, yes, and maybe sometimes I'm discontent, but this is not really a thing for me. Let's go even a step further. Could it be? And would you consider with me this morning that if you could keep the 10th commandment, it might help you from breaking the other nine. Because if you were content with God, you wouldn't worship any other gods before him. If you were content with God, perhaps you wouldn't have any idols in your life. If you're content with God and what he's given you and his plan for your life, then you would not commit adultery because you wouldn't desire someone else's spouse or someone who is not the one that God has given to you. If you were satisfied, you wouldn't bear false testimony to gain something in return. And you can go through all of the Ten Commandments and you find this facet that if we were a people that were just more content with where God has us and what he's given us, could we be in a closer relationship with God? And could that be what all these commandments are really all about? It's about a relationship with our Heavenly Father because he knows what's best. And so considering the other nine commandments and really all biblical commandments found in Scripture, could they become easier to keep if we were just a little more content? Could it be that your life would actually be better if you found contentment? And there's even a deeper question. There's this much deeper question this commandment leads us to. Is God really enough? And if he is, do we live our lives to reflect that truth? Is God really enough? I think that's why the 10th commandment is the logical conclusion to all the other commandments. Because it asks the question of contentment. It asks the question of considering whether God is enough. So how do we live it out? Right? We've got to apply the scripture to our lives. How do we live out the 10th commandment? Which will really in turn help us Live out all of the other commandments. I want you to consider some things this morning. The first one is this. 
Learn to be content with less and temper your expectations. Learn to be content with less and temper your expectations. And obviously, we can be talking about money or possessions here. I mean, that's uh, part of what this commandment refers to in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. Consider this from Hebrews in the New Testament, chapter 13, verse 5. It says this, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has says, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That's actually found in Deuteronomy. So we will, not, we will keep our lives free of the love of money and we will be content with what we have. I like to preach um, every, so, every so often um, a, a series on finances and money. And, and, and money is mentioned so many times throughout Scripture. And it can become an idol. It can become a god to some people. Because we find that our life is constantly pursuing the dollar bill more than we are pursuing Christ our Savior more than we're pursuing our relationship with God. And when that happens, it's unhealthy and, and it leads to brokenness and it leads to pain and, and we find out life isn't fulfilling and the more I get, I thought that would satisfy and it doesn't and we've been down that road. I thought of it, if, if we're uh, doing another uh, series, I, I, I had this thought in my mind that I'd name the series Enough. It would just be called Enough. And the tagline for the series would be Living with Less in the land of more. Because that's, that's kind of where we're at as a country. That's kind of where we're at as Americans. Perhaps why, if we would learn to live with less in the land of more, we wouldn't need a stimulus or spendulous check to make sure that our lifestyles stay the same. If we could just be content with a little less. If we could learn to share maybe some of those that have greater resources with others that have a little less, that maybe have true need. This, this topic of contentment goes deep. And we talk about it in the form of money and possessions, but I want to take it a step further. Temper your expectations. Be able to be satisfied with what you have in life. It, it just makes sense. But I, I believe that's also th something that happens in relationships. And there's a great example of that. Many of you uh, are, are married and you have family and you have extended family. And some of you aren't married and you still come into contact with some extended family that married your sister or your brother and, and their extended family. And you've got invited to their celebrations and their annual festivities. It seems like as I've done counseling through the years with couples, whether it be premarital or what I say postmarital counseling, it's like we do uh, the counseling before the marriage to try to prepare them, and then they go through the honeymoon phase, and then they get to the phase, I don't know what, really what to, what to call it, but it's a challenge, right? We go through the honeymoon phase, then we get to this next phase, and, and a lot of times they might end up back in the pastor's office seeking some advice. So many times what that has to do with, many, many times, is with family relationships. How's that work? How, how do you make that work? Because it seemed like they, they go in and it was okay at first, but then Christmas came this year. 
And, and me would not believe what happened at Christmas. All the stress and pressure on my family from Christmas. I mean, my mom or my mom-in-law, she went ballistic. And then everyone left a day early and it was all this drama and, and it ruined Christmas this year. Or, or maybe, oh, it was my Uncle Bill. He just, you know, really struggled and he got really mad. And he said so-and-so and called them out. And, and we get to this point where what really happened here in these relationships there were expectations that didn't get met. See, mom thought you were going to come over earlier and stay longer. And you didn't. And I wonder if she didn't have that expectation, would she have been dis as disappointed? You expected that when you gave that gift to that person, that they would be like, wow, this is the greatest gift ever. Instead, you felt like, man, they didn't even acknowledge it. They just kind of cast it to the side. It really hurt my feelings. But if you didn't have that expectation... Would your reaction and would your feelings be different? Would you be content without the expectations? Not only in the area of possessions in our life, but maybe also in our relationships as well. Didn't, didn't it talk about relationships in the 10th commandment? You shall not covet your neighbor's house, possession, but you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, the people that work for him. Yes, this is very much about family relationships, and relationships with other people as well. But we need to be learning to be more content with less and to temper our expectations on life and in relationships. And maybe through doing that, we would find ourselves a little more content. Second thing this morning Become preoccupied with the well-being of others. Become preoccupied with the well-being of others. Great example of this in the Bible is, of course, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's, that's how he lived his life, was to serve others from the beginning to the end. And so many times, I think, if we could be more concerned about others than we are about ourselves, it would fix a lot of the issues we have in life with covetousness. Whether it be someone's stuff or a relationship that we desire, and we could find contentment by being more concerned about what others feel, what others need. If we could even become preoccupied in our mind by this, it's so much easier to keep the Tenth Commandment and other commandments as well. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul gives a commentary on this. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition, or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. It goes on there, if you read the rest of that passage, it, it compares this to Christ Jesus. It says, consider the Son of God, consider Jesus, who by taking on the form of man, humbled himself, came from the throne of heaven, and all of its glory and splendor to earth. It took on the form of man and died a cruel death, even death on a cross. And consider, he didn't do it for himself. He did it for you. And he did it for me. And when you look at Jesus' life, he lived these two verses. He always considered others as better than himself. He was always looking to the interests of others and serving others as higher and better than himself. 
become preoccupied with the well-being of others. In Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 and 25, it challenges us with this. It says, one person gives freely and yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. If you've ever uh, sacrificially given to someone else, you know exactly how this feels. You know that being a giver and being a generous person and meeting the needs of someone else and becoming preoccupied with what they might need and meeting those needs with God's love and with your compassion, what a blessing it is. How you find yourself getting something back from that. You find yourself being even more refreshed because of how you put someone before yourself. Could that lead to a deeper level of contentment in life? Becoming preoccupied with the well-being of others. Third thing this morning. Rely on God's power and provision. We need to learn to rely on God's power and God's provision. God's power to get us contentment and his provision that we will have everything we need. You you know that if you read on in Philippians and you got to chapter 4, I think it's uh, 4.19, says that he will provide all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. God will provide everything that you need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That's why Jesus says things like, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and that all these things that you need in life will be added to you as well. Find that contentment in God and in his son first. Find your contentment in that relationship with God first. Find your contentment in the circumstances you're in today. And rely on God's power and his provision that he is in charge. That really where you're at is out of your hands and it's in to his. And we acknowledge that we are reliant on him for everything that we might need in life. And when we find our reliance on God with wherever he has us, we can find contentment there. But we've got to rely on God's power and God's provision. Let's be truthful for a moment this morning. Most of us do not rely on God's power and God's provision. Most of us think that everything we do, we've done for ourselves. You know, that's, that's kind of the American way, right? Is you pick yourself up by your bootstraps. and There's a lot of truth in Scripture. I mean, it says if a man does not work, he should not eat. And so we do have our part to play in this. But who gave you the ability to work? Who gave you the skill? Who gave you the brain that works, the, that operates, and that can do all of these intricacies in life that may actually get you to a point where you might make some funding to provide, maybe for yourself, maybe for others, maybe for God's kingdom. Who got you to that point? It's God. We have to choose to rely on his power and his provision and knock out the sense that we have somehow done it ourselves And because of that, we have this possessiveness, which, interestingly enough, leads to discontentment because we want more. We just are never satisfied. I mean, most of you, 
would be happier at your job if you went tomorrow if you found out you got a raise. Why? Because you'd be making a little more. But God may not have that for you tomorrow at work. In fact, I would guess for most of you, you're not going to go to work tomorrow. They're going to say, hey, we're giving you a raise. And so you'll have a choice to make. Do I rely on God's power and his provision and trust that where he's at, that I have everything I need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus, and because of that, I find and choose contentment. Now, I want to go back to number one because I want you to notice, I said, learn to be content with less. It's a learning process. It's not something that just happens, you know, just... You know, snap your fingers and it just happens. Or, hey, you know, I accepted Christ and I was, I was baptized. And, and then it just happened. All of a sudden I was more content with everything in life. No, it's a process. Process of your sanctification. As you learn to be more like God and his son Jesus Christ, you learn to be more content. I'll give you the last thing this morning. Through Christ, learn to be content in all circumstances. Now, I could have easily said there, learn to be content in all circumstances. And you would have accepted that and thought, oh, okay, yes, yes, just learn to do that. But it's through Christ, it's through Christ that this is possible. If you try this in the flesh, I don't think you'll ever get there. I've never met anyone that has. Through Christ, learn to be content in all circumstances circumstances. And understand that this is, again, a process. It's something that you're going to learn. And it's easier said than done. I had a great discussion in my small group uh, Wednesday night this week. We talked about this, about how many times do we read Scripture, and we're going through uh, 1 Peter in my group. How many times do we read Scripture, and we're like, yes, yes. Oh, I read that passage. Oh, man, I agree with that. I'm like, amen. Amen, brother and sister. Amen, God. What a wonderful passage of Scripture. Yes. And then we get to the application part. We're like, yes. But how? (laughs) Because I I can't and I don't and I won't. and, And it's only through God. It's only through Jesus Christ that it's possible. It's only through Christ that it's possible. In Philippians chapter 4, we've been in there a couple times this morning. Look what it says in verses 12 and 13. And 13 might be really familiar to some of you. The Apostle Paul says to these Christians and, and, and to the church in Philippi, he says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Let me read that again, okay? He says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. By that point, are you just not like on the edge of your seat? He says, I have learned the secret. Now, first of all, it's learning, so it's going to be a process, and he's gone through a process to learn this. Trust me, if you look at the life of Paul. But he says that I've learned this this secret. And I think the secret that he's speaking to here is this depth, this depth of knowledge and insight that just goes really, really deep. In fact, I think it was just earlier in this letter, he said, my prayer for you is that you would grow in knowledge and in depth of insight. And then he gives them this here in chapter 4, in verse 12. I have learned the secret of being content in, every, in any and every situation. And listen, he goes on, he gets specific here. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. Paul says, I have figured out contentment. And then he gives us the secret The secret is found in verse 13, and it says this, I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. 
Some of you may have memorized that as a child. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, Philippians 4.13 is one of those very, very popular verses. People love Philippians 4.13 because we take it out of context a lot, right? I mean, some people have really twisted Philippians 4.13 because it's talking about something very specific here. It's talking about how we find contentment, thus verse 12, and really the verses leading up to them. But a lot of people take, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all this through him who gives me the strength. It's like, I can climb the steeple today that's right above your heads. I can climb the steeple today and jump off through him who gives me strength. Because it said, I can do all things. I can do all of these things. I can do all of this. And yet, it's talking about something very specific. It's talking about how can you live with contentment? How can you live with contentment, whether you're hungry or well-fed, whether you're living in plenty or living in want, how does a person find deep satisfaction and true contentment in life? I can do all this through Christ, who gives me the strength. I can do all these things through Christ, who strengthens me. And I hope that that verse, the rest of the time you hear it in life, because you'll hear it again. An easy one to memorize. It's a fun one to claim as a Christian. Is actually dealing with your view of God, your view of your circumstances. And that Paul says, this is the secret to true contentment with your life. I can do all things through him. It gives me the strength. Through Christ, learn to be content in all circumstances. It's only through Christ. In 1 Timothy 6.6, Paul's writing to uh, this young pastor that's, that's kind of training in the faith, Timothy, and he says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, if we had this scripture presented to us as, but godliness is great gain, we would have said, yes, that's awesome. I mean, that makes sense, and it's true. Godliness would be great gain for all of us to be more like God, to have the mind of Christ. I mean, you would say yes, but that's not what 1 Timothy 6, 6 says. It says, but godliness with contentment is of great gain. And as you go throughout more of the writings on this idea, this concept of being content and not being one who covets what other people have. Not their health, not their stuff, not their spouse, not their family, their relationships, not their friends, not their popularity, not their accolades, not their career. But we'll be content in these circumstances with where God has us now through Christ. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And I can do all of this through him who gives me the strength in Christ Jesus. I think we see that if we do not covet and we find contentment, that commandment number 10 can affect all of the other commandments in the scripture. God's big 10. God's 
Ten Commandments. And there you have it. Series is over, shut the book, and move on down the road. I've been reading since the beginning of the year in the Bible app. Uh, many of you do devos in the Bible app, you, know, you can download devos, and I'm actually, they call it a devotion, it's in that category, but mine's actually a reading plan. I'm reading the whole Bible this year. Uh, to date, I've read uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, so the whole Torah, uh, the first five books, the, the Pentateuch, Greek word for it. I've read those books, and I'm in Joshua. Uh, I think yesterday I finished at chapter 9, Joshua chapter 9, so I'm, I'm well on my way. And it's amazing how, as I'm reading this stuff, and it's familiar to me, but to go back and read it all again, of what you can learn and what you can find out about God and his people. I mean, it starts in the garden, and God, I believe, created Adam and Eve to live forever and to walk in that relationship with him. But when they chose sin and not to trust God, and they bought into the lies of Satan, that, oh, God might be... Hiding something from you. There might be a better way than God's way. Take this fruit, the fall of man. Just a few chapters later, we've got to destroy the world with a flood. It's so sinful. We have the Tower of Babel. And you just go on and you read. But, but God, in, in, in Genesis chapter 12, makes this promise to this man named Abraham. And he tells him, you're going to be a great people. You're going to be a great nation. And I'm choosing you. And I'm choosing to have a covenant relationship with you. And you get through the rest of Genesis, and you see how God is going to bring about these people through the lineage of this man named Abraham. And then they end up in sla as slaves in Egypt. And you get to Exodus chapter 20, and, and where we get the Ten Commandments is they've actually come out of Egypt. God has saved them. Do you remember how the Ten Commandments started? Do you remember week one? Where did we start? We didn't even start really with the first commandment. We started with verse two. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I'm your rescuer. I'm the one that loves and cares about you so much. I rescued you out of the land of slavery. And so here I am. I'm going to give you some guidelines on how you're going to live your life. Because I want a relationship with you. And I want you to have healthy relationships with other humans that are made in my image. And so here come the Ten Commandments. And after the Ten Commandments, you think, well, then the people of God were set. I mean, this was the best way to live. If they just keep them, life would be swell. No lying, uh, no adultery. I mean, all these things that mess up lives. I mean, these are good commandments. If we lived by them and kept them perfectly, life would be awesome. And yet we read Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy that God's people, they have this pattern. They obey God and they live in the blessing of God and then they disobey God and they go their own way and they suffer the consequences of that choice. And then they come back to God and it's this pattern. And it just keeps happening. And I'm in Joshua now. And if you know what Joshua's book is about, it's about the land of conquest. Do you remember that he promised Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 not only, not only a people but a land? Well, you, you've heard of this. If you say the Old Testament, you've heard it. It's called the promised land. And all the Israelites are going to get to go into the promised land. Right? And Moses, their leader, I mean, surely Moses is going to make it to the promised land, except Moses did his own thing too. At the end of Moses' life, right at the end of Deuteronomy, God takes him up on a mountain and shows him, look at this land flowing with milk and honey, it's so awesome. There's other people groups here, but we're going to kick them on out. This is the promised land. I have chosen it for you, Israel. Moses, you're not going to be able to take them in. 
I'm going to have Joshua do it. And Joshua starts these conquests of beating people after people and tribe after tribe and clearing the land for God's people to possess. Best land on the earth, flowing with milk and honey. And yet, you see God's people come and go in all of these patterns, obedient, going God's way, obedience, and then coming away from God, disobedience, suffering consequences. It was amazing because yesterday, we had just, they had just beaten like four armies, and then someone came to make a deal with them, and they were trying to deceive the Israelites, and they were successful in doing so. That They made a covenant that they wouldn't attack this people group and remove them from the Holy Land, from God's promised land for God's people. That they... And in this deal, right in the middle of this, I remember it was like 26 verses in this chapter or so. It was like at verse 14 it says, and they forgot to consult the Lord. What? I mean, God's telling you, go into this land, do this, and those people are gone. Go into Jericho, walls will fall down, you go in, you take over the land. I mean, God's telling them exactly what to do, and all they have to do is do it, and they're going to possess the land. They're the most powerful nation on the earth, and they've got God on their side. And yet, how do you get nine chapters into Joshua and forget God? See, a lot of people think the Ten Commandments are about rules. Ah, God gave us Ten Commandments and the rules so that we would struggle. And he, you know, he just wants to judge us. He's up in heaven on the throne with his arms crossed, and he's just wanting to watch us fail. And he just gives a bunch of rules because he doesn't care about us. No, you know that God's commandments are good, all of them. The Ten Commandments have been a cornerstone and a fabric of society because it's the best way to live, to live by God's design, by God's desire. And so if you're thinking, well, the Ten Commandments is about, you know, us trying to keep all these rules for God, no. The Ten Commandments is because God wanted a relationship with you. And because he's a holy God, he says, this has to happen. And we see throughout, not just through Joshua, but we're going to read the rest of the Old Testament. And we're going to see that God's people cannot do it. They, there's so much discontentment and covetousness in their life for what everyone else has. Oh, they have kings, God. We want a king. God says, wait, I'm your king. You don't need kings? Fine. Have a king. Have some corrupt ruler that's, that's overall. See how that works for you. I mean, you just time and time again, and I'm thinking, if I'm God, I'm so frustrated, I'm heartbroken. Because I feel like I've given you everything. I've given you my law. I've given you land. I've kept my end of the bargain, and you haven't. And then finally God decides, I think, actually I don't think he decided, I think he knew it from the beginning. You know what? I'm going to go all the way. I'm going to send a part of my very soul, my son sitting on here in the throne of heaven, I'm going to send him to earth. He's going to die to forgive all of the commandments that all of those people in the Bible broke and all the ones that we break. And he did that because he loves us. Because he wanted to give us a second chance. Because he wants a relationship with us so much. And he knew it would require sacrifice. In the Old Testament, it required what? Animal sacrifice. If there was sin, the rule is something has to die. And it's only covered by blood. And usually it was the blood of a special animal, right? An unblemished, firstborn lamb, the best. 
And then God sends his son as the lamb of God to take on the sins of all the world. And may that be our motivation. Because the Ten Commandments isn't about keeping some legalistic set of rules. It's about God stirring us in a desire in us that through Christ, who strengthens us, we can live the way he desires for us to. But it's only through Jesus Christ that this is possible. So we're called by God to submit ourselves to him. If you want to know about the Ten Commandments and who, who kept them perfectly, there's only one person, Jesus Christ. I hope that when you read the commandments of God, you see Jesus. Because he kept them perfectly and then paid the penalty for us not keeping them. I mean, isn't God amazing? How much love and patience do you have to have for a people that you do everything for them so that they can have a relationship with you? And yet that's who our God is. That's why he sent Jesus. And that's why we have a choice in life to accept him as our Lord and our Savior and allow him to save us from our sins. Scripture says to purify us from all unrighteousness through his blood. But I hope that when you think Ten Commandments, you think of relationship that eventually leads us to a sacrifice of the Son of God. We're going to respond to today's message by taking communion together. And hopefully if you're online, you've made those preparations with a cracker or a piece of bread. Hopefully when you came in the room this morning, you, you got... Uh, you got those emblems at the tables at the back. I want you to think as you sit around the Lord's table and you have this, this moment of holy communion with God, the sacrifice of Jesus to cover all of those sins. Let's pray and then let's partake together. Lord God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the fact that he is the sacrificial lamb, that he's the one that makes right all of the commands that we've broken our whole life. And God, we stand humbly before a mighty God that could easily judge us and condemn us and not offer us a way except through obedience. And yet you take your righteous and obedient son and, you, and you, he's a substitutionary sacrifice for us. He's atoning for our sins. And Lord, we just stand in awe of an awesome and loving and mighty God. Lord, for some of us, what more do we need? What more motivation do we need to keep your commands, to live for you? God, I pray that we look to Jesus. God, when we find ourselves beginning to sway and beginning to become wayward and want to move away from you, I pray that we would look to Jesus. When we wonder, how can we be content because these circumstances are not what I want, I pray that we look to Jesus. And God, in this moment, as we gather around this table and we take this bread that reminds us of his body and this cup that reminds us of his blood, I pray we look to Jesus with gratefulness in our hearts, acknowledging that he is enough. And because he is enough, I am content that no matter what life throws my way, I'm with Jesus and I'm under the covering of his blood. So God, I pray in these next few moments, can we celebrate that fact 
And could we adore the risen Lamb of God? We pray all these things in His name. Amen. Would you just take a moment this morning and commune with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ?